ahead, please go ahead. Do do the the intro. Wait, I was supposed to film that. What? What are you talking about? I'm turning that paper. <laughs> Wait, I was supposed to return that in. Wait, return it in. Okay, we're failing. Wait, I was supposed to turn it in. <laughs> this is a failure. This this. The intro has been an abject failure, and we're going to move forward. That's the intro. Hey, Trinisha. Hi, Brianna. How are you doing? Good. I'm not eating today. You know, because I always eat during our recording. Oh, yes. <laughs> I thought you meant like you hadn't gone the whole day. Like, I thought you meant you, you went the whole day without eating. And I'm like, why are you not eating? But no, you are not eating on this call. Imagine that. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, <laughs> So, I'll be leading today with the news edition. Basically, I've been kind of keeping up with, like, Matt Gates scandal. Have you, are you a little bit familiar with it? Yeah, mm-hmm. I've been reading the headlines. I haven't gotten too deep, but basically the gist that I got is that he's a creep, so you're going to elaborate. Okay, so, yes, he is. So, it, I think it's really, first of all, I just want to point out, I stopped watching CNN because I wanted to get more objectivity, but then I started watching MSNBC, and they're still clowning this man. The way they call him a fake Trump, the way they call him, <laughs> they're like, yeah, allegedly, wink, wink, like, he didn't do these things, but I don't know, this evidence is really adding up, like, <laughs> The way they talk about him, it's like they're trying to be objective, but they just can't help but to clown this man because he's ridiculous. First of all, why would you pay? Okay, let me just give a quick wrap up. So basically, him and his friend, Joel Green, who was like a tax collector or whatever in Florida, they were really close. They were giving each other like money and jobs and stuff. And I guess it came out that he was giving his friend Joel money for getting young girls for him. Allegedly, allegedly. Um, and the reason why this came out was because Joel, he got founded out for falsely accusing a competitor for his for his office that they're that they're both running for because he's running for reelection, falsely uh, accusing a competitor of being a pedophile just for it to come out that he was the bad. <laughs> Imagine Allegedly. Like- Allegedly. Allegedly. And then uh, not using campaign finances correctly, um, intimidating other legislators. Like he left a really creepy phone call, uh, a really creepy voicemail between him and Gates left a creepy voicemail to this other woman from Tallahassee. She's a legislator. Um, I don't know. They were just complimenting her on her assets. It was really weird. I don't even know how to describe the call other than just creepy because I, I heard the voicemail. Yeah, the creeps. And then Matt Gates, I guess, you know, he was paying these girls with Cash App. He was using Cash App and Venmo, which is an easy way to track stuff. And he was flying them out. So that way they could go to allegedly to sex parties, wasn't asking for IDs, you know, really creepy stuff. 
And now him and his defense are just trying to play it off as we never said he was perfect. These women were all at least 18. He was just having some fun. What? <laughs> ew. Ew, ew, ew. Like, he's so gross. This whole situation is completely he's gross. the biggest Trump supporter in the Republican Party. That's why they keep calling so, him like, Trump. I mean, he's he just has trash written all over him. Like, he has, like, not one redeemable quality. Like, there's nothing about you that's remotely likable, yeah. remotely useful Indeed. to society. And literally what's crazy is that he comes from money. His dad is the, I think, the of course president he of, what was it, the speakers or something? I don't remember. His dad has an, a, a, a political position as well that's higher than his and has been in that position for decades and has a lot of money. They have a lot of family wealth. I think his dad used to be a pharmaceutical rep or something related to that. Um, so they have a lot of, a lot of wealth to pay for lawyers and stuff. Mm-hmm. So he will, I, I, I'm pretty sure he's not going to jail. The one thing that I've noticed is that like his his defense of himself or for himself, right? There is just, this is all fake news. You know what I mean? Like these, uh, it's a conspiracy. Right? And, it's like, and they're scary. all, he's 18. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> he's like in complete denial. He just feels like, or not denial, just he's in full gaslighting mode. If I just say it's fake news enough, maybe it'll go away. Maybe, maybe, man. Yeah. Well, he looks like somebody's foot. He does. He looks like, yeah, he, he just looks like a thumb with a drawn on face and it's all scrunched up together. It's gross. So aside from that, Georgia, I don't know if we talked about this last time about Georgia passing mm-hmm. that new bill with all those voter restrictions and how it's it racist. Is. Well, the saga continues because now in Arizona, they're doing this recount. Even though they've already certified this election long ago, there's this this um there's this place i don't know it's like an online group that was being run by this guy i forgot his name but he was also a huge proponent of the QAnon conspiracy and he got he's now getting taxpayer dollars to recount the votes and they're not letting uh, they're not letting letting any reporters in to observe it. So the only way you can do that is that you have to volunteer as an official observer, whereas your job is just to make sure people are counting the votes. But they receive no training on how to do that, on what it looks like. And then this one reporter, she was able to get in as a voluntary observer because they weren't letting any other press in. And uh, she noticed that all the people that are doing the recounts, who, by the way, has been described by the guy as being, oh, they're all vets people of military and police service, you know, people you could trust. And I was like, okay, I need more information about these people, but okay. She noticed that they were all using blue pens, which is illegal in Arizona to recount votes with. You have to use a red pen. So when she leaked that, first of all, they told her that she's not allowed to post any more updates while she's doing observing because she was going back and forth between the room and to her locker outside of the room to like get her phone up locker to post updates. They told her that she's not allowed to post any more updates. And then she said they changed it to green and red pins now instead of just blue pins but like i think that's real suspicious right it's all real suspicious. like first of all why are we even talking about this like why is this a thing like why are these are- dollars like a waste a complete waste of taxpayer dollars like we're all we're literally almost if not we just hit biden's 100 days 
Yeah. Like, what what, what are y'all hoping to accomplish? That's what I'm saying. But I think they want another January 6th. But this time, they want to signal that the, that the Republicans in office are in on it. So that way, they're not getting attacked. I think that's what they really want, to be honest. Interesting. Well, this is a waste of everybody's time. It looks stupid. Yeah. Like, I guess, I, I guess I'm confused because do they really... Do they really think this is going to change anything? Is this is going well, if they cast enough doubt and they get enough support from the voters, they could go through with trying to do an impeachment. Well, I feel like it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Definitely something to to pay attention to because you never know what'll come of it. It sounds all it all sounds very nonsensical to me. Now we're going to talk about houses, and I want to interview my amazing and super financially responsible friend, Brianna. Really, I like cringe because I'm like, am I super financially responsible? I don't really, that's not really how I see myself. I see myself as just like making a mess of things, but I appreciate that that's how you see me. That's nice. I don't know yeah, if that's really accurate though. I mean, you know, compared to me, yes. <laughs> I wouldn't want to mislead the people, the good listeners. Okay, so my first question was, what was it that finally made you decide you wanted to buy a house? So, okay, well, I guess I have to start with, like, the fact that homeownership has always been a, a dream or a goal for me. Like, growing up, we never lived in a house that we owned. You know, I grew up with a single mom. Like, we always rented. And we also, we lived a lot of different places just because of life and circumstances. And so there really wasn't that stability of growing up in one house or two houses. Like, I've lived in so many houses, I can't even tell you. Um, And so just, it was always been really, really important to me that I own property, something that I could potentially pass down to children and just something that I could kind of anchor my life around and create stability that I, I felt like I didn't have growing up. So it was always something I knew I was going to do. It was never a question of if, but just when. Mm-hmm. And this summer, um, I had came to Florida just for a visit. And while I was here, I was just like, you know, let me just casually do some looking. Like, Let me just see what's out there. And I was, you know, just look, um, I reached out to a realtor. I asked her to kind of put me on like her list of properties that you get emailed every day um, with what's coming on the market. And, you know, eventually I saw a couple that I liked and I was like, hey, like, let's go see this. And honestly, it all happened really fast. Like, it's not like I sat down and like mapped out some six month plan for how I was going to get here. I mean, I had been saving for a house purchase, you know, since I entered adulthood because I knew it was something I wanted to do. So I had been saving for it for a while, but um, I, I didn't really necessarily feel like, oh, this is the time. Like I have all my boxes checked. I, I kind of just fell into it, honestly. Wow. You know, like, hmm, let's see what's out there. And then I, you know, I saw my house and I was like, oh, let's do it. You know, we're, oh, we're doing this. I think that's the best way for things to happen, though, when it happens organically like that, where it's just like, OK, I think, you know, this is it. This is the moment. You yeah. Just kind of feel it. You feel it's right. So I guess my next question is, what were you looking for in a home? I wanted something that was affordable. I did not want to be house poor. Um, I wanted something that had, was low maintenance. Like I, there was no way, shape or form I was going to be out mowing a lawn on the weekends. Like, right. So like I wanted something that was a little bit low, lower maintenance. 
Um, and I just wanted something, you know, in a um area that I felt comfortable in. So I didn't really have like a very specific list. I feel like when you watch like those like crazy like house hunting shows, like people yeah. always the craziest qualifications and they're all super specific like this has to look like this and this has to have this and I really didn't have any of that it was just like location was kind of important and I wanted to be like centrally located in Tampa so where I could get to everything kind of easily and I wanted the house to be affordable like I wanted it to make sense for my my budget and I wanted to pay less in a mortgage than what I would pay if I was renting something comparable. So that was really it. Well, I think just what you have to go off of is pretty good for narrowing down your search, though, because you know that, you know, you didn't want anything with like huge, huge yards to land, you know, getting land wasn't a big priority for you. And I know for some people like my parents, getting land was such a priority. Like they like our house now but they wish they had a little bit more land. Yeah. And that's all good until like, you got to go out and cut that bad boy. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not, I'm not cutting anything. I'm with you there. I'm not cutting anything. I'm not even hiring. I mean, I might hire a lawn service, but once in a while. And then like, and another thing too, is that like Tampa is such a competitive market and there is um, not as much inventory. So, you know, I feel like there isn't, especially when you're in a certain price point, there isn't a lot of rooms to be incredibly picky you know what I mean and yeah. also if you want to be in the city of Tampa like getting a whole bunch of land really isn't like it's not a thing anyway yeah because you're in the city so exactly. but yes yeah, so I feel like it also you, you know there really isn't space in this particular market to be super picky as well because like the inventory just is the inventory you know what I mean that's very true that is very true so I guess, you know, after you realize what it is that you're looking for a home and you kind of made that decision for yourself, how scary was it to start the financing process? It actually, it wasn't scary to start the financing process. It was scary just to kind of pull the trigger in general, because like me, I'm definitely, I'm one of those people with like my personality is always like, okay, what, what is every possible scenario? You know what I mean? What can go wrong? You're always thinking about what could potentially go wrong. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I will say that I did not have the smoothest process um at all and so sort of everything that I I was scared might go wrong kind of did go wrong <laughs> um, so I feel like I was right to be worried but I mean you know I went into this process feeling fairly confident in my knowledge of like the process and how it works and just you know everything and I still kind of made so many mistakes and so I think that it's scary because you always thinking about like what can go wrong and for me like a lot actually ended up kind of go wrong yeah that is scary um especially because it's something permanent once you make the purchase yeah but what made me pull the trigger even though i did have like some trepidation was really just kind of like well you know what can go wrong that i cannot that that can't be fixed that can't be course corrected you know what i mean and i feel like anytime you're gonna do something big like there's always there's inherently a bit of risk involved you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. so i had to decide whether or not i was really willing to take the risk and i did you know i'm glad you did because i like your home it looks nice (laughs) thank you (laughs) listen it it took a while (laughs) to get to this point so funny thing is that like 
I um I just did a really poor job picking my team, my like house buying team. And I feel like that's one of the biggest mistakes I made is that you really need to vet these people incredibly well. And I felt like because I had, I feel like a above average knowledge of like the real estate, the home buying process that I didn't have to be as picky with my team because I could, you know, I had what I felt like was enough knowledge to make it work. And that was a big, big, big mistake. My real estate agent, I like, she, she was terrible. My home is Inspector was terrible. I'm still like in a legal like situation with my home inspector now. The home buyers were terrible. Like the people I bought the house from, like just everybody involved, like my title company, my finances, like literally every single person involved in the process just dropped the ball at some week, like some at some point. And I was like, it was a very stressful process. Like I was constantly running behind people trying to pick up the slack. And it's like that should not be the case like these people are getting paid to service you and that's why yeah. you vet them and you interview them like you are interviewing somebody for a job because this is a very big purchase and you want to make sure that they're you know crossing their t's and dotting their eyes and that they're not like leaving you to pick up you know the mess so i feel like that was one of the biggest mistakes that i made sure well i mean still though it still worked out because you were prepared and you went in with that prepared mindset but yes it should be something that you do a little bit more research on like now now i know what to look out for because I didn't even realize so many people were involved. I just thought, go to the bank, talk to real estate agent, boom, bam, boom, get a house. That's it. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like it, there's so many people, so many people, and you have to do your due, due diligence on each single like aspect. You know, all the people who you can't control, which is a lot. You know what I mean? You need to you need to be very careful in picking. Look at the reviews. Try to get personal referrals where you can. Um, you know, so like if you had a friend who bought a house and they had a really good experience then go with their realtor you know what I mean because you have that that case study of it going really well um but yeah so I think that that's really important because the people involved are what are going to help you or excuse me who are going to help you make it to closing smoothly and you know make or break the experience for you but I mean you know despite all of the hurdles I don't regret my purchase whatsoever it's actually it's it's been um really enjoyable to live in the house um and also too i still feel really good about it because i'm paying significantly less you know for the amount of space that i have um than i would if i was renting something comparable and that for me was like the biggest like the biggest pro or the biggest upside to buying a house yeah i do think that's a big thing is is knowing that once you get that mortgage the mortgage is always cheaper than the rent and you don't have to worry about the mortgage increasing over time like that's one thing it's not always cheaper than the rent because you know it depends on what level of you know what your price point is for the house you know what I mean because like I have a friend for example who lives um who lives in New Tampa and like her house is like twice the size of my house and I'm pretty sure that like her mortgage is probably significant or probably about what you would you would pay to rent something of that size you know what I mean or yeah. if not more so I don't think it's always necessary I think it depends on you know if you're you're paying attention to the price point and thinking about like what you could get because like I have three bedrooms in my house and so I'm like okay well how much does a three-bedroom apartment go for you know how much does it cost to rent a three-bedroom house on the market okay well I'm coming in below that but I think that it can you can definitely exceed those rental numbers if you're not careful especially if you you want something more like luxury or you want a house that has a bunch of high-end finish 
finishes, like that's gonna cost you. Yeah, I'm not getting all that just yet. Um, later in life, later in life, I'll get that. You know, when you come over, it's gonna be like a gold door, and then when you play the song, it's just gonna play wah. I don't know. And then <laughs> you hit the doorbell, it's just wah wah wah. But that's later. That's later in life. It's not now. Um, but yeah, I definitely. Yeah, you make make some really good points about just knowing what kind of house you're buying, and then still being able to compare it to like what renting would be like on the other end of things. I think for me, like I'm I'm definitely interested in buying a home, but I'm also a little bit wary of the financial commitment. So like with an apartment, all you gotta do is make it through a year, and then you can just leave and go somewhere else if it's too much for you. But with a home, once you have it, you have it, and you're stuck with it. Absolutely. I feel like that's such an important con to buying a house is that it is semi-permanent in the sense that you can buy a house and in that same year turn around and sell said house. But it actually costs a lot of money to sell a house. It's very expensive to sell a house. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. And so if you like, let's say you buy a house and then like you, your job transfers you to another location in another state. And now you're like, okay, well now I'm in a position where I have to sell my house. It's actually good. You know, you're actually going to lose out. You know what I mean? Because realtor, you know, the fee for the realtor to list the house all of the closing costs you know what i mean any upgrades or you know fixes you have to do to the house to get it market ready you know what i mean all those things add up and so you you could definitely be like ten thousand dollars to sell a house you know what i mean and so depending on how long you've had the house and whether or not you've had a chance to build any equity in the house you could end up losing money if you sell a house that you bought too quickly so i think like they recommend that you only buy buy a house if you know that you're gonna be in it at least five years to build up some equity and to try to you know increase get the property a chance to increase in value before you you know incur all those fees that are associated with selling a house so it is very permanent you know what I mean in a sense I mean I think for me if I'm if I have to move somewhere I'm just gonna rent and I can definitely like ask my parents for advice since they rented um, our old house before they sold it for a while. But I also know on the other end of things that renting is still stupid expensive. Uh, you know, having to be somebody's landlord and going in and fix things whenever they mess it up and having to have a, a management company if you can't, if you don't want to have to manage it day to day. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a lot. And then like, I don't know if I want to get too much into this, but just thinking about like right now with COVID and how they have all these, like, you know, a lot of cities and, you know, states are doing eviction moratoriums. And so yeah. you may potentially have somebody in the house for what, over a year now that hasn't paid rent. And you know what I mean? And if you have a mortgage on that house, that mortgage is still due. So you really like going into that sort of arrangement really takes a lot of, it's an investment. And like any investment there are in here, risk and you have to prepare for those risks and I think that if you're going to rent out a property you do have to recognize and look at it as an investment I think another thing is too that like I see people kind of like disagree on this whether or not a house that you're going to live in is an investment you know when you buy a house is is this an investment and I feel like my house was an investment because I feel like while I was going to live in the house I bought it for what I felt like was a reasonable price I do see the you know I 
I know what I know about Tampa is that the housing market has been going crazy here for such a, a long time and the property values are consistently increasing. So I see the value of my home going up and I look at my home as an investment, but I do see like some like finance people or people in the financial community saying that like oh, buying a home isn't necessarily an investment. Um, I wouldn't believe those people. <laughs> no, I, I feel like there's a lot of cap going on in the especially Twitter finance a lot a lot of BSeries not I don't believe those people the reason people say that it's not an investment is because a house costs money you have to maintain it you know what I mean you have to consistently put work into it and at the end of the day just because you buy a house doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to profit or like it does there's no guarantee your house is going to literally any investment that's any investment you make technically owning your own business is making an investment in your future but there's no guarantee that you're going to profit off of it long term investing in a stock is investing with the hopes of making money in the future but that stock could plummet tomorrow and you could lose all your money so yeah their reasons are dumb right so i think the question is you know so i think it's like maybe so not so much is buying a house an investment but is it a good investment you know what i mean or should yeah. you look at it like an investment? And I think that, you know, to be honest, I think that buying a home for a primary residence isn't necessarily always a good investment. But like, it, there's nothing wrong with that. Like you buy a house so you can live in it and you can enjoy it and make memories in it. And it has utility for your life. That's why you do it. So, I mean, I also think investment should be expanded beyond just the monetary value because, you're investing like you invested in your home so you could have, like you said earlier, that stability. So you could have something that you didn't have growing up. And I think that's just as important as any money you could have made off the house. That's a very that's so true. That's such an excellent point. Mm-hmm. So I know i I feel like we kind of like talked about some of the pros and some of the cons. Like I think a pro for buying a house is definitely that like there's the opportunity for it to increase in value so for example i worked with a guy and he had like purchased his house here in tampa five years ago and he had paid under 200 for it 200,000. and then when like the market really started getting hot like he was getting offers for like 270 and just a crazy time frame his house had the value of his house had increased so significantly so if he sold I don't know if he went through with selling his house but if he sold he probably would have made a nice little chunk of change so I mean it is it is definitely possible for houses to increase in value that's why you know that's what you hope will happen when you buy them and it's definitely a pro um I think a pro too is that you're building equity in something you know that you can leverage later on so um you know if you need to borrow a lot of credit against your house if you have equity in it you can do that that's another pro and I think like we talked about a con is definitely that it's a very big and semi-permanent decision and it it does cost a lot of money to maintain and upkeep a house you do not get to call a landlord which sucks (laughs) (laughs) like there's so many times like this broken I'm like oh my gosh I just wish I could just call somebody to come deal with this and it's like yeah I can't call somebody but I have to call somebody and then pay somebody you know what I mean like I think I do think a con of buying um, houses that have already been owned is that you don't know what, you don't always know what was left behind in those houses. You don't always know what problems were left behind, kind of like what you dealt with with your home. You don't um, <laughs> you know, like what if, what if the previous people that were so quick to sell you that house at a cheap price and they're leaving is because somebody was trying to track them down and then they show up at your house thinking they're still there and hold you hostage, waiting for them to come back. See, this is a con. <laughs> 
could that not also happen in an apartment as well? Oh yeah, true. Because the police showed up at my apartment the other day asking about a previous resident that lived here, and I was like, "They do not live here." <laughs> but to your point, though, the people who lived in my who owned my house before um, I bought it, they they just kind of patchwork fixed everything like they it was super shoddy workmanship on anything that they fixed in the house there it caused a ton of problems plumbing issues because certain plumbing things weren't installed correctly the first time you know and i'm like i don't know if they had like a family member if it was like a family discount they were like i'm gonna come hook you up or i don't think they had a lot of work professionally done which means when i came to the house like i it, it caused a lot of problems and i had to redo it the correct way so that definitely is a con unless you're buying a brand spanking new house like new construction and even then i know people who bought new construction and they're still they still have workmanship issues and things still broke down but at least like there's a warranty or something in place but a lot of times if you're buying a a house that somebody has lived in previously you do have to deal with their their construction messes sometimes or you know them not properly caring for the home and you know that that definitely is a a con it it caused me a lot of sleepless nights whenever it's moved in plumbing leaks having to replace a whole have a whole tub outfitted and replace it in like a bathroom just you name it in the first what the first like four weeks like I, I literally had every type of professional come out to my house in the first four weeks of owning it that's how many problems ended up cropping up plumbers electrician HVAC roofers like you name it if they can do it in a house I had them in my house fixing something that is crazy expensive first of all it was. It definitely was. Uh, and so when you think about, like, when you worry about, like, what can go wrong when I, like, buy a house, like, everything that could go wrong did actually end up going wrong. And so it, it's amazing, though, because now that I'm a little bit removed from the stress of all of that, I like I said, I don't regret it. I still think that it was the right decision, even though it was a, a very hard decision. I feel like I learned some very hard lessons as far as trusting the, the, the people that you put trust in. You have to put a lot of trust in the people who you work with to buy your house. My inspector, like I'm in the middle of some legal issues with him because he just did not do what I felt like was his duty, you know what I mean, and what he was being paid to do. My realtor, you know, she just, she was lazy. <laughs> like, she just did the barest of minimums. Um, so, one click check. <laughs> right. She really just was trying to collect a check that was, check was what I felt like. So, you know, you you have to you really have to vet your team and pick a good team. And um, and also at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much research you, you do or how much you prepare. There's still going to be just things that are unexpected that happens. And you're just like, oh, oh shit, you know, I was not prepared for that. <laughs> and you got to adapt and you have to pivot, you know? Yeah. What I'm going to do as alternative so I don't have to deal with your problems. Um, I'm just going to get a rich husband, first of all. That's, that's valid. And, you know, he'll just pay for everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's valid. I, when I think about like sort of like a mansion or, you know, you go on Zillow and you look at these crazy houses that you yeah. for. I always think, though, what's the electric bill like on this McMansion? Or I think about like who's gonna clean all eleven of these rooms? No, but I'm not doing it. I know that. I know that for sure. Like it better come with staff because I'm gonna be cleaning five bathrooms. 
See, and I'm glad you brought that up about like the spaces and maintaining the space because that's why I want to live in a tiny home. I want to live in a tiny home because whatever maintenance issues I have for sure would be cheaper than a regular size house. That's Absolutely. <laughs> I feel like tiny homes are such a wave. You know what I mean? And I feel like I, I like I could totally, I think, live in a tiny home. Now, listen, I don't ask me after a year of living in a tiny home if I still feel like, you know, I can keep doing this, but I can definitely do it for at least a year. And I feel like I can probably make it work long term because I feel like I'm not a hoarder, even though mm, my closet might slightly disagree okay, with me. So I'm throwing away a lot of stuff to live in a tiny home. I've already made that up in my mind. You definitely have to peer down. Yeah. I... Yeah, you really have to commit to a minimalist lifestyle to make that work. But I think I, I like the, I mean, I don't see myself traveling with my tiny home. So it would have to be grounded on foundation, like on a piece of land, because I'm not driving around this country. I don't know. <laughs> carrying your house around everywhere you go right and not even that I mean in theory I kind of would to do a cross-country type of thing but then I remember that I'm black and like I don't (laughs) like I don't know and then the only you can definitely do that the only downside is that you know how when you're buying a house you're kind of buying the land with the house like the lot yeah. Yeah. So that's not the case with a tiny home. Like they show you the price for the whole tiny home and then there's a separate price for the land. To yeah. Put it on. Well, and then the other thing is unless you are capable of building the tiny house yourself, you have some sort of technical prowess building things. It can be very expensive. The price of these tiny homes can get up to regular home prices. I and- will never do that. And I, I personally cannot see myself paying $100,000 for a tiny home. But the thing is that regular homes aren't even $100,000 anymore. That's true. But yeah. I just don't feel good spending $100,000 on something two feet. Like, why? Like, not two feet. <laughs> I'm doing this, it should be a deal. I should really feel like I'm getting a deal. And at $100,000, I don't necessarily feel that way. I don't want to have to have a mortgage on my tiny home. You know what I mean? Because I think yeah. that is supposed to represent this freedom. And if I have a mortgage, I could just have a regular house with a regular mortgage. Yeah. So, I mean, but even when I'm looking at tiny homes, I'm still looking at like, not necessarily strictly just tiny homes, but just smaller homes in general for my home. Because like, if I'm buying a home and I'm buying it by myself, I think it has to be something reasonable. Like, I'm not going to buy a home anticipating that I'm going to have all these kids. What if I never have kids? Man, F them kids. Like, I I need to have a home that like, you know, like you said, building equity and keeping it long enough. I want to be able to do that. And the cool thing with the tiny homes, if you want to look at them or if you want to look at just smaller homes in general, it's not that expensive to add solar panels to them to kind of cut down on the electricity. That's true. And some of them are completely off the grid where, you know, they don't have any really extra expenses like that at all. So how do you feel about like the bus like homes or the van homes? Please. They're yeah. called school. <laughs> so I think that only works when you build it yourself. I'm not going to go shopping around to like dealerships being like, oh, you guys got any schoolies on the lot? Like, I'm not doing that. Um, I think the best ones are the ones where that people actually make themselves. So I see like these cute, you know, cottage core type couples that like, you know, they're like, oh, babe, I saw this school bus in the junkyard. And I was like, wow, so romantic. Let's live there. And then they go <laughs> in and they strip down all the seats and they strip up the floors and, you know, do the 
rewind the electrical stuff to make sure it's still a functional vehicle, which I don't know how they do that, but they did that. So that's the part that like boggles my mind about this is like you said, these be a lot of times these vehicles are old and run down. And I'm just Mm -hmm. I don't know, the the whole the van bus, you know, vehicle house idea gives me anxiety because it's one thing for something to break down in your house it's another thing for your house to also be your car and like (laughs) your car won't start so like your house is stuck someplace undesirable thinking about that causes me anxiety i think not it's not even the actual idea of living in the the vehicle it's the idea of like the mechanical issues of maintaining this vehicle and driving it around places and now if something goes wrong like this vehicle is also my house or at what point does the vehicle become beyond repair like it's it's nothing left you can do you just park it somewhere and then it's just your house (laughs) so then I have to tow my house to something (laughs) I think I think what's so cool about the schoolies and the tiny homes trends is that it really gentrifies poverty because schoolies are just slightly cooler mobile homes right And, (laughs) and then tiny homes are just slightly cooler run down small houses in bad neighborhoods like they're just <laughs> that they don't have to be in a bad neighborhood because you can move it somewhere else <laughs> no that's that's true I, I i see that and i mean i feel like you see the commer- commercialization of it with like i said like you get like these luxury tiny houses now these companies that build luxury tiny houses and you're paying almost as much for tampa like right now or let's say like cities that are still relatively lower cost okay let's just go straight to the midwest like missouri you could buy a whole full like three bedroom two bath 150k like that's not out of the realm of possibility so then why would i buy a tiny house that costs a hundred thousand dollars and then i still have to pay twenty thousand or more for the land so now we're in the realm of 120k and I can just because it's still cheaper than the houses in Tampa, unless you're going to move far out the way from your job and you want to be close enough. This is the in-between option and it still gives you that home ownership. So tiny <laughs> houses, it sounds like tiny houses only really have appeal in high cost of living areas, though. Yes, yes, this is true. I will say, though, that when I looked up tiny home communities near Tampa, the closest one is in Thanota Sassa. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I guess I could still go to work from the note of Sasa. I just hop on the highway real quick. But still, you know. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, though, is that, like, I feel like it's just a big confliction. Like, I really do like the idea of tiny homes. I do. I like the idea of not, like, you know, being so obsessed with things and really kind of just living minimalist. And I, 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 I love the concept. But I, I do feel like it's just inherently filled with, like, conflictions. Because if the idea is that I'm living a more cost-effective lifestyle or something like that, but there's yeah. still a very high barrier of entry, I feel like, to having a tiny home. You know True. what I mean? Because even if you did all the work yourself, like you built everything yourself, it still cost you like 20 grand at the very least, 20 grand just to build the house. And then at that point, you still have to find land or you have to find a community where you're paying rent to park your house there. You know, $500 a month, I feel like is not out of the realm of like possibility. So now I'm, you know, basically studio apartment in a, a, a low cost of living city. You know what I mean? But with equity, <laughs> I mean, you do own the house. It is yours. I mean, forever. it's kind of like 
me for me buying a tiny home is the same reason why I would buy an apartment. Like if you live in places like New York or Chicago, you can buy apartments and own mm. them. And people are like, well, why would I want to pay this money for this? Well, you're paying for the convenience of where you're located and it still gives you that home ownership, you know, benefit. Well, and then, well, like with the example of Tampa, though, if you want to be in the city of Tampa, you still have to then buy the property, which is expensive in the city of Tampa. You know what I mean? You still have to figure out how to buy that land. And like I said, it's just a high barrier of entry. Like it's not, it, I feel like it's poised. That's what's it's full of conflictions. Cause it's like poison yeah. is a, like a low cost solution, but you still have to have a, a significant amount of cash to actually make this work. Wow, and, you're really making me doubt this plan of mine. <laughs> I'm not, I think if you want it, like if you like it, you should absolutely go for it. And I think you, like I could, I don't see anything so prohibitive that will cause you not to be able to save up the money to like pursue this if this is your dream. I'm just like, I just feel like it's not as inexpensive as it presents itself. Yeah. No, you're definitely right. You're definitely right about that. Um, Because the ones, the really nice tiny homes I was looking at with all the upgrades in the solar panels and everything, 106,000. <laughs> well, yeah. that's the thing. So it's like, okay, do you have to have 106,000 cash? If you finance, like, you know, how hard is it to get financing on a tiny home? I imagine it's not easy. You literally, you you finance through the people who build the tiny homes, actually. Yeah, I'm sure they're charging like car, car note rates for <laughs> Like, you regular mortgage rates on that, you know what I mean? I'm sure. True, true. Wow, so I guess, I guess I'm not ready to buy a home. That was <laughs> the conclusion there. And you know what? I think that's, I think that's super valid. I think that home ownership continues to be like a more elusive goal for a lot of people, especially single people. Like the large amount for amounts of cash that you have to have for down payment money. It's like sometimes just maintaining a healthy savings account is a struggle enough so that I'm supposed to do that. You know, I'm supposed to have six months of cash stacked away for emergencies, my expenses for emergencies. So then once I'm able to save that, then I need to have 20 per, or ideally 20%, but at the least maybe three to 5% of a purchase price saved for the house process. But then in addition to that, I have to have like a, an additional one per one to 2% for closing costs. So that's true. $10,000 saved for a down payment. You still need like another, you know, five to ten thousand dollars for closing costs, which is something that like so it's, it really is it really can be kind of prohibitive but i think that if it it can be you know overhyped i feel like buying a house for me it there was a lot of you know emotion and sort of like you know childhood things attached to my decision but i think it's a compl- uh, equally valid decision to just rent call your landlord have them come fix the shit <laughs> But I just hate how they're able to just raise the rent randomly for things that they didn't even upgrade. Girl, when right before we left Tampa, our rent, I want to say that our rent was like eight something for a one bedroom. And we were moving, we were getting ready to move to Oklahoma. So we didn't plan on renewing anyway. But we got that. It was that time almost um, that our lease was up and we got the renewal letter. And the rent was going from like, 860 to like 910 so the rent was going up like 
No, it was a little bit more. I remember the rent was going up like $70 and they had made not one improvement, not one improvement to the property, not one improvement to the apartment. And it's like, so what exactly are you charging me more for? But Tampa was just getting more expensive. You know, housing was getting more scarce here. And so they could do that. And it's like, it doesn't make any sense because like literally the letter, renewal letter I got from my complex so that they're trying to match market prices. For what? Nobody wants to live here. Y'all barely got people living here now. Mm. Girl, there's so many empty apartments here. I don't know why they think raising the prices is going to make it better. Well, maybe maybe they feel like if they raise the prices, they'll be able to do like more upgrades that would attract more people. Who knows? Girl, ain't no rhyme or reason. These people just want to make a book. They really do. A reason, oh, something I wanted to ask you about um, earlier, and I wish I did it earlier in the episode. Um, how much of your personal debt, if you had any, did you have to pay down before you made your purchase? So, and this is another reason why I feel like I was a bit naive in that, like, oh, it should be like such a smooth process. Like there should be no problems. Like I had an excellent credit score. I had very, very minimal personal debt. The only personal debt I had going into the home buying process were, were my student loan, which those are just are what they are. I gave those got a long time ago. So um, outside of student loans, I did not have any personal debt. I did not I did not have any credit issues. I had what I thought at the time was sufficient down payment money. So I really just was like, oh, the financing process should be so smooth. It should not be any like complications with the financing process. Girl, even with me being an ideal candidate, I feel like there still ended up being like a crop of issues with the financing. Like I said, just pick your team carefully. That's the lesson in that. That is a lesson. But I did not have to pay down any personal debt because I didn't really have any personal debt to pay down. Not even your still your school debt. You didn't have school debt, did you? Yeah, I have student loan debt. I have almost fifty thousand dollars in student loan debt. But I didn't calculate that or no. Yeah, they absolutely did calculate it. But with my income, the debt to income ratio, which is the measurement that they use to determine whether or not you qualify and what rates you qualify for if you do, it's not like $50,000 in student loans was a prohibitive figure, you know what I mean, for the amount of income that I had and the price, you know, the amount of house I was trying to buy. It wasn't really an issue. Um, I also think that because student loans are so incredibly common, like that's not the biggest deal. But what, essentially what they do is they take your monthly payment for your student loans and they, they add that to like your when they calculate your monthly responsibilities, they add that to your, you know, that number and they say, OK, well, basically you're making this much and you have this much in liabilities or debts that you have to pay each month. And that ratio is this and that's okay number for us so we're comfortable with that number you know what I mean now with my income let's say if I had $70,000 in student loans it probably would have been a very different conversation that I would have had to have with them you know what I mean if I had $100,000 in student loans with my income it definitely you know once again would have been a very different conversation but it's it's in relation to your income no I know what you mean um it's definitely hard because I have a lot of student loan debt because grad school is ex- dummy expensive and you know <laughs> I, yeah I struggled a lot and I'm not I'm not like I feel like maybe this was a benefit for you I don't know if you considered a benefit but like I wish I was 
I wish I I was living with a with a partner to kind of cut down on my living costs. Mm-hmm. So that way I wouldn't have had to like spend so much money on just taking care of myself while in school. It, it, it helps to have somebody to do this with a girl. Like absolutely. Like two is better than one in every scenario in this case because it just, you you have two incomes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Two, it, it's easier. It just is point blank period. As a single person, it's very, it's significantly harder because it's going to take you twice as long for everything. Twice as long to save the down payment money twice as long to pay off any debt you know versus if you have you know a partner to do that with you can tag team everything then it definitely makes it easier uh 10 hundred percent but i think that as a single person it should you know definitely shouldn't discourage anybody who's single if this is uh, if this is something that you want to do you know what i mean i recognize that not everybody wants to be a homeowner like that that it really isn't a thing for everybody but if it is something you're passionate about every obstacle or issue is overcomable you know a lot of cities or counties or municipalities municipalities have a lot of them have down payment assistance programs you know um depending on what city you're in some sometimes they're like you know if it's in a not so great neighborhood sometimes they're literally giving away these houses like please take this house you know what i mean <laughs> if you're like a teacher or in law enforcement or a veteran you know what i mean so there are avenues look anything is possible anything is possible and i think that you shouldn't be discouraged if you you know don't have if everything is it doesn't look great on paper right now because I've seen people in all kinds of scenarios buy houses, whether their credit wasn't great or they didn't have all the down payment money or, you know what I mean? So it's just about, you know, deciding what you want and making a plan to get there. I know what you mean. Well, I am, for one, I'm excited to ask you for advice when I start buying a home. And I think everyone else really enjoyed listening to you because you gave some great advice, you know, because you're so financially responsible, my amazing friend, Brianna. And this was a pretty good episode. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you got to stop misleading the people, though. You got to stop misleading <laughs> the people. <laughs> Brown doesn't know what she's doing. That's the lesson here. <laughs> but yeah, no, this was a good episode. So we'll, we'll see you all in a couple weeks. See you in a couple weeks.